Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. If the Lord help me today, I want to minister on the thought, be careful what you ask for. And this may or may not be the most Easterish Sunday message that you've probably heard, but it is what the Lord put in my heart. At Bethel Family Worship Center, we're maturing in Christ and we're reaching in love. The heartbeat of this house is to lead you into a mature relationship with Christ. A mature relationship with Christ that means that you are growing in your spiritual life. That serving God is not a matter of convenience, but diligence. That the more knowledge and the more spirit life that you get, the more it affects your body and your soul. And not only to lead you in a mature relationship, but to get you to, in that relationship, now challenge you to share your faith with someone else. On Wednesday night, I asked a question, what is the name of the the last person that you personally led to Jesus Christ? What is their name? And it's a thought-provoking question because all of us witness in different ways. We witness when we tip big. We witness when we smile. We witness when we share our faith as it comes up. But what is the name of the person that you last won to Christ and even personally discipled them? And I'm not asking you to wave at me and shout their name, and I'm not asking you to feel bad. I just want you to understand the purpose of us gathering here is not just so that we can shout and say that we punched the card in on Sunday, our neighbors seen us walking with our 50-pound Bible, and we made it to church. But it is that we might mature in Christ so that then we might could reach in love. And everything that we do as a church is based on the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth, lived a sinless life, died for our sins, went to the cross, and three days later got up. He's the only God with a capital G, while all other gods with a small g never got up out of their grave. He said, if you kill me, I'll rise again. If you put the seed in the ground, I'll I'll burst forth with a plant. He rose with resurrected power. Today, if the Lord would allow me, I want to speak on the thought of be careful what you ask for out of Matthew chapter 20. And in the beginning of this passage, and we're going to jump to verse 17, Jesus is predicting his death. Some people have a premonition, and I don't know how you classify that. I don't know what category that falls into, a a deja vu moment, a premonition, a foresight, a prophetic revelation, where God sometimes will show you what's coming ahead. I've had people in my, my family and people in my sphere of influence who seemed to have known something was coming and would talk to the family in terms of, I won't be here long, and would say things like that. And when they say it, I'd say, oh, ain't nobody want to hear that because we want to hold on to people forever. And the Bible says that we pass through this life once. We are here but for a season. Our life is like the wind. And Jesus was predicting what was coming to people who were dear to his heart, who had joined his, his, his circle, who had joined his ministry. Many of these people left their jobs, their 401ks, their daddy's business, 
health insurance. I'm just, I'm just putting it in today's terms to follow after Jesus, to drop out of school to run after the Messiah, the rabbi, the teacher, to maybe have a second chance to enter into the priesthood because maybe they didn't cut it at age 12 when they had their bar mitzvah. But maybe now, since Jesus is beckoning me to join him, I got another shot at this. So he spends three and a half years with these men and decides that he's going to let them in on the intimate, private parts of his life. And he's going to reveal to them what's coming. And in the Bible says in verse 17, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, that he took the 12 disciples aside privately and told them what was going to happen to him. When I think about that, I think about Jesus was headed to Jerusalem to said, hey, before we get there, let's go to Pigeon Forge and get a cabin. That's not what happened, but it was like, I'm going to pull aside here so that we are not distracted and you and the crew that's been with us can hear my heart. And then he says to them, listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the son of man will be betrayed to the leading priest and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die. Jesus then begins to speak from the third person, and he says of himself, the Son of Man will be betrayed by who? The leading priest and the teachers of religious law. He's already saying that church people are going to throw me under the bus. Religious people are going to point their bony finger at me. <laughs> Religious people are going to not agree with this new grace message that I'm going to give, so they're going to, because it doesn't line up with the law message, they're going to kill me. And I just want you to know it's going to be the religious people that do it. And I want to say something here, and please uh, don't amen it really, but most of us have probably been hurt in church or hurt by church people. People have said things to us or done things to us knowingly or unknowingly. And maybe it has left a scar or it's left a hurt or a wound. And unless we allow the Holy Spirit to heal that, we will end up living that hurt everywhere we go. It'll show up in the next church. It'll show up in the next relationship. It'll just still be there. And Jesus is letting them know quickly that the leading priests and the religious teachers are the ones that are going to put me to death. And then verse 19, he tells them more. Then, everybody say then. They will hand him over to the Romans. To be mocked, flogged with a whip, and crucified. The King James there would say that he would be scourged. He would be mocked, scourged with a whip, and crucified. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. So he's speaking in the third person about what's happening, that's going to happen. Hoping that they catch why he's saying this. And while he's in this transparent moment, and he's getting ready. to. He's telling them what's coming. I mean, he's being as real and raw as he can be, as transparent as he can be, in walks this woman. And verse 20. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, please let me... Let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know 
what you are asking. Are you able to drink the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? He would go on to say, are you also able to be baptized in my baptism? And you know what their reply was? We are able. In other words, bring it on, whatever it requires, we are able. I want to speak just for a few moments today on be careful what you're asking for. You don't know what you are asking is what he responded back to this woman. Did anybody catch that in the verse? It wasn't something that just pops off the page. You're first focusing on Jesus and his real and raw message, intimately telling his disciples, his followers, this is what's about to go down the pike. This is what's going to happen. They're going to flog me. They're going to mock me. They're going to crucify me. And in the middle of all this, this woman comes in with a selfish request. She comes in and she wants to know, how are you going to help my family? She wants to know what's in it for me. And when I read this passage of scripture, I thought this woman has a lot of nerve to just walk in here all proud and, and, and affluent and, and act like she, she's just able to do anything she wants and to ask Jesus a question in that, in that atmosphere. How do you ask Jesus a question of selfishness and self-promotion when he's in a moment of telling you about he's about to die? Listen, it'd be like if someone in your family is laying on their deathbed and everybody comes in to comfort and you all have that one crazy cousin and that one aunt. Instead of being there to comfort, they're trying to ask, did you put me in your will? Do I get the china cabinet? <laughs> Mama, you know you promised me this. Come on, somebody. How many know that's not the time to be trying to Get stuff from people you ain't seen in 20 years. And so when she does all this, it, it's not sitting well in my heart. In fact, the other disciples got aggravated at the request. But I just want you to understand, Jesus is in a moment of transition, in a moment of transparency, and he realizes what's coming, and he's wanting to share this with his, his disciples, and it's actually really disturbing. I mean, the news that he's about to give them is really heart-wrenching. And he tells them, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be scourged. They're going to beat me. They're going to crucify me. And I know that you left your jobs to come follow me. I know that you've left everything to come and follow me for the last three years. And we've been together nonstop in ministry for three years. It hasn't let up. We've healed people. We've delivered people. We've cast out devils. We have preached the, we have preached the, the grace message. But I want you to know I'm getting ready to die. And I want you to feel the feeling that in that moment of total transparency, Jesus calls them together and lets them know my future and your future doesn't look real hot right now. I'm about to go through a process that's going to be the most painful thing that I have and you will ever witness and seen before. And before it happens, I just want to share this moment with you. And in walks this woman. He just said he's going to die, and here she comes with her two boys. Excuse me, Jesus. Before you die, can you give a sister a hookup? This woman walks in and says to Jesus, before you exit, before you get out of here, before they kill you, 
I want to make sure that my sons, who are the sons of Zebedee, by the way, that they end up sitting on your right hand and they end up sitting on your left hand in your kingdom. Can you give me a hookup? I'd like to have your word on it. Now, she's not a bad woman. She's not a mean woman. She's a good woman. In fact, if you pronounce her name, her name is pronounced Solomon. It looks like Salome in the scriptures. And she is the wife of Zebedee. And Zebedee is a very wealthy fisherman. And because of his wealth, she's very affluent herself. That means she can go to the Macy's every day. <laughs> she follows Jesus faithfully. She's been around all of his ministry. She's a believer in Jesus. She is one of the women mentioned who ministers to Jesus. And yet when it comes to her kids, there is a struggle between who she is maternally and who she is spiritually. How many know that you can be the most saved, sanctified child of God, but when somebody messes with your kids, you turn into a pit bull. How many know what I'm talking about? If that's my baby, if that's my child, come on. You want to see fangs come out? <laughs> you want to see veins bust out of necks? People get upset and, and hair stand on their, ed, on, the, on their arms? Is to mess with a woman's child. And Jesus is telling all this and she is confused between her love for the ministry and her love for Jesus and knowing that her sons have left the fisherman business to join him in his ministry quest. But before he goes, I just need to ask, can you make some promises to me? Because I need to know that when you're gone, somebody gonna take care of my boys. I need to take care of my boys and my children. And Jesus responded to her, you don't even know what you're asking. I wanted you to ask this question to you this morning. Are you asking for something that is not his will for you to have? Right now, you may be asking God for things and saying, Lord, would you do this for me? Would you do that for me? And maybe it's something that is not even the will of God for you. And if you push it, you might birth an Ishmael instead of an Isaac. The general question is, are you asking God to do something for you that is not even in his will for you to have? And I just want to pause this morning for you to see something about this mother and her two sons. The question is, are you mothering a grown child? And I want you to see this because these are not little boys. They are not out here skipping on the playground. They're not hopscotching, playing hide and seek and playing who's got the cooties. These are not children that, that mama has to hold and take and hold their hand and everywhere they go, when they go to the zoo or when they go to Kings Island, they, she don't have to hold that. These are grown men. These are grown men who are doing, being drugged around by their mother. And if you're a grown man, why are you being drugged around by your mama? That is what is wrong with our society in part today. We got too many grown men who are still being drugged around by their mother living on a couch and won't get a job. Listen, I know you're wondering, are you going to preach about the Easter? Are you going to preach about the empty tomb? I'll get there. But I want you to get into your mind this morning to understand that there comes a time when you have to say to Jesus, Lord, I have brought these kids up the best that I know how. And now I just got to give them to you. They belong to you. I'm taking it out of my hands and I'm putting them in your hands, God. 
Because if you don't, you're going to spend the rest of your aging life dragging your grown kids around trying to make their story turn out the way you had in mind. There's a difference between parenting and manipulation. And we can't even broach the subject until we begin to address the fact that sometimes you begin to see yourself through the narrow prism of who you are to them and lose sight of who you are to you. If you are a husband and a father, then you have missed a lot if that's all you are. But because if before you were a husband and before you were a father, you were a man. If you are a wife and that's all you are is a wife and a mother, then you've missed a lot because if you are just a wife and before you are a mother, remember you are also a woman. And I come to encourage you today and tell you that God wants you to know that you are more than the job you have. You are more than the title that is upon your name. You are more than who you're in relationship with. You are more than just who you are connected with. You are more than the toys that you possess. You are more than the kids that you have. You are even more than the ring that you have on your finger. You are a man of God. You are a woman of God. And your identity is not only tied to that, it is tied to who God created for you you to be and so the Lord dropped this into my spirit and I want you to write it down stop defining your success by your relationships let me give you a wake-up call this morning with no husband and no kids no respect no flowers no cards you are still God's woman you are still the apple of his eye and you're gonna have to learn how to clap for yourself you're gonna have to learn how to anoint your own head you're gonna have to learn how to buy your own flowers you're gonna have to learn how to go ahead and get a mani and a petty oh nobody have to pay for it but you come on somebody but if listen if you are here today and you have no wife, no kids, no respect, and no prospects, you are still God's man. And he has his hand on your life. Learn how to clap for yourself. This woman is dragging her kids to Jesus. What are you dragging? What are you dragging to Jesus? Her kids are not sick. She's not dealing with death or famine. She's looking for gainful employment for her children. As if they are not already blessed. Think about it. Jesus has esteemed them highly. He included them in his 12. He brought them to the Garden of Gethsemane. He took them to the Mountain of Transfiguration with him. He carried them everywhere he went. And mama is still looking for a hookup. Jesus, I, I was just wondering, before you die, can you give me and my boys a, a position? I, I just need to hear it from you because I know you're a man to keep your word. And lie not. Give me a hookup and let me know with an assurance that if you die, when you die, however you die, one of my boys is going to be on the right hand and one of my boys is going to be on the left hand. And Jesus says, woman, you don't even know what you're asking. And as I read that, I thought Jesus wasn't antagonistic towards her. He wasn't against women. He wasn't against women in period. In fact, he himself 
had a great mother, and he valued the women in his life. Mary, if you remember the mother of Jesus, she was an amazing mother. She withstood the scorn of an entire city that laughed at her and called her a liar when she had this great controversy that she told there was immaculate conception in her life. When they said, how did you get pregnant since you've never known a man? And she said, the Holy Ghost come upon me and overshadowed me. And it was a controversy. She had to endure that. She had to endure the stares over people's glasses when they walked past her in the synagogue and understood the fact that she had a reputation now that she was all tied to being to be married to a man and to be engaged to a man and now she ends up being pregnant. She had to learn how, Pastor, to walk with her head up high when she walked through the city market. She knew the scorn of people. She knew the voice of people who whisper. Oh, you know people whisper. People talk about you like you a dirty dish rag. They talk about you from you behind your back and then want your hand a blessing. She knew the controversy that was around her, but she was so committed to the cause that she loaded up on a donkey and headed to Bethlehem. She was so committed to the cause that when she got to their Bethlehem and there was no room for them in the inn that she found her way to a manger. She was so committed to the cause that she wrapped Jesus in swaddling clothes. She was so committed to the cause that she gave birth to him in the stable and loved him just the same and nurtured him just the same. But she was a mother on the run and she had to run because she knew they were out to get her boy. They knew, she knew they were going to try to kill her baby. She was a mother on the run and had to come to a place where she said, not my baby. You're not going to mess with my baby. You're not going to take my baby. And so she carried him down to Egypt and hid him for two years and said, the devil can't have my child. I wonder if there's any Holy Ghost women of God or any Holy Ghost men of God or say the devil can't have my babies. Alcohol can't have them. Pornography can't have them. Drugs can't have them. Nothing's going to keep them or steal them. I'm not going to let them get mixed up with all kinds of isms that are in the world. Nothing's going to take my baby. If I got to hide you, I will hide you. I'll ask the Holy Ghost to get all around you and all over you. She was a mighty woman of God who was on the run. She spent her life on the run with her baby. And maybe you here like that had to live in bad neighborhoods but raise good kids because you said, not my baby. My kids are going to be something. I will fight for my kids to have a fighting chance. Are you here? And yet at age 12, Jesus is now disappearing from his mother and he makes out this statement that has become very popular he said, I must be about my father's business. And the slow cutting of the umbilical cord starts at age 12. And by the time Jesus reaches age 30, the cord has been so severely cut that she's trying to get into a room where he is in a meeting and wants to speak. And the disciples peck him on the shoulder and said, Jesus, your mother's at the door. And Jesus, who is the epitome of love, said, Who is my mother? Why are you trying to attach me to where I've been while I'm reaching to where I'm going? I know this is not the Easter message. 
maybe you thought it would be. But Jesus says, who is my mother? He said, you, in essence, you are trying to tie me to my past where I started, but I am so focused on my purpose to go to the cross. I'm so focused to go where I'm going. I don't want you to keep trying to pull me back to where I was. Who is my mother? But Jesus was not disrespectful. He was trying to get them to understand his purpose and his future. The cords were being cut. He was being released to his his destiny and released into his purpose. And he was respectful. I do want to tell you that because he was showing us that as children get older, children never should stop appreciating their parents. Never stop being nice to your parents. They should never stop respecting their parents. They should never stop honoring their parents. We live, parents, we live a life that is in prayerful support to our children as long as the decisions they're making are in alignment with the scriptures and the word of God. I may not agree with you, but that doesn't mean I don't love you. I will pray for the Holy Ghost to visit you. And when you are doing drugs and you are hanging out with the wrong crowd and you're doing this and you're doing every ungodly thing, I will not stop praying for you because God birthed you. I hid you. I dedicated you to God and I have a purpose to see you cross the finish line. I wish I had a radical church this morning that would understand. I don't care what they're teaching in colleges and universities and schools today that there are many ways to heaven. There is only one way. Jesus said, I am the way. Hallelujah. That may not make you feel good. It may not even rub you right, but it is the truth and I'm going to preach the truth. Jesus is the way. Parents, don't ever stop supporting your children. You may not agree with them, and you don't have to agree with things that do not line up with Scripture. But we all must understand this. Jesus loved his mother, and I know he did, because he stopped in the middle of dying to talk to her. In the middle of dying, he looked at John and said, Behold, thy mother. In the middle of dying, he stopped dying. He stopped dying to look at his mother and say, woman, behold thy son. Anytime you would stop dying on a cross to make sure your mama is good, that speaks volumes of who you are as a person. I, I, I don't know how you was raised, but I was raised to say, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Um, you didn't say things like, so? Oh. <laughs> you didn't talk back to your parents. You didn't make fun of your parents. And whoever you were dating, you wouldn't tolerate them making fun of your parents. Because that's a reflection of who they are. Pastor, it's all in fun. No, no, no. There are some things now. There are some things. You don't ever get so high and so big that you disrespect your parents. And what kind of person are you to let someone else disrespect? You love them that much? Bye, Felicia. (laughs) 
Jesus is on the cross and he's still respecting his mama. And it's the only commandment that God said, if you obey it and honor your father and mother, I will add years to your life. I'll give you more years if you'll shut your mouth about your mama. Jesus says to them, I, don't, I want you to understand the process because I'm getting ready to go through some things. And when I go through these things, it's going to escalate. And he said, they're going to mock me and they're going to scourge me. And they're going to crucify me. I mean, this is what he's telling them. He's saying they're going to mock me, and that's verbal. He says they're going to scourge me. That's beatings. He said they're going to crucify me. That's killing me. They're going to take me out. And this is what the Lord spoke into my spirit that I want you to write down. Whenever God is getting ready to promote you, there will always be an escalation of trouble. There will be a mocking. There will be a scourging. And there will be a killing. They will try to kill you with their mouth. They will try to kill you with their hands. And they will try to kill you with a blade or a an instrument uh, devised against you. But my Bible said that no weapon formed against you is able to prosper. But be it known to the church and known to you and I that are traveling this life through process that God is with us. And I don't know who this is for, but it's for somebody here today that whenever God is getting ready to promote you, there will always be an escalation of trouble that will come against you. They're going to mock you. They're going to scourge you. They're going to talk about you. They're going to try to crucify you and it's going to start amongst your own people. And he said they're going to turn me over to the Gentiles and when they do that it's going to get much much worse. The enemy knows that you have a destiny. That's why he's a, a distraction to stop you. To try to get you off your destiny. To get you off of your course. To keep you from where God wants you to go. And the distraction will always escalate before it ever gets better in your life. He said, they're going to mock me. They're going to scourge me. They're going to crucify me. Why? Because the enemy comes to steal. He comes to kill and he comes to destroy. It always gets worse before it gets better. But you have to understand this. When all this is said and done, are you sure you can handle the process before you ask for the promise? He was saying to the woman, he was saying, are you sure you want this promise? Because you're asking for something that requires a process. You you're asking me to give you something that will require death. You are asking me to give me give you a seat, but you've not suffered with me yet. You cannot reign with me if you're not even willing to suffer with me. My God, I don't know who I'm talking to, and maybe this is an obscure Easter message, but I'm telling you, to much is given, much is required. If you want the promise of God upon your family, upon your career, upon your relationships and everything, he said that you've got to walk a process with me and the process will lead you in a path you don't understand. Here's what I want you to write down. Before you ask for something, look in the cup. Look down in the cup. You're talking about a place you want to sit and Jesus is talking about a cup he's got to drink. You're asking for stuff that he's not even referring to. And sometimes we are so focused where we want to sit, we haven't looked at what it's going to cost us when we drink the bitter cup to get there. And what amazed me about this text is that Jesus tells this mama, be careful what you ask for. You are now asking for your kids to die. I can't 
can't put them into a position because they cannot handle the cup. And he says back to them, and let me say this for you to understand what baptism is. Baptism is about death. It's not about water. When Jesus said, I have a baptism to be baptized with, he was not talking about water because he had already come up out of the water. He was talking about the grave. He was talking about you've got to die a death internally to live spiritually. You ask him for stuff you're not ready for. Are you here? It illustrates to me sometimes how we underestimate what it will take to get to the level that God is calling us to. We want the promise without the problem. We want acknowledgement without agony. We want riches without work. We want fame without loneliness. We want pleasure without pain. And Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking. Before you ask for the chair, you better look in the cup. Because between you and the chair is always a cup. <laughs> and this mother knew not what she was asking for because she's distracted by the attraction of the position and she never understands about the pain that goes with it. There's just death you have to die. Every position has its pain. Every position has its pain. If you're a homeowner, that's a great position. But there's some pain that goes with it. Why? You have some maintenance that you've got to do that maybe you hadn't done before. You have some issues you didn't have to deal with, things like water heaters and gas meters and washing machines and dryers. <laughs> if you're a car owner and you own a very shiny new car, praise God for that, as long as you didn't use God's tithe to buy it. You're going to need gas. You're going to need new tires. You're going to need to change the oil. Sometime along the way, you'll probably have to change the battery and by all things you'll need to get rid of all the trash in the back seat from McDonald's <laughs> if you ever have anyone to ride with you we want the position without the pain we want to sit at the seat but we don't want to drink the cup and before I let you go today and take my seat he was telling her this is what's going to cost there's a cost to discipleship Jesus said you have to take up your cross and follow him. You know, following Christ is not a matter of convenience. Well, if I feel like it, or if we're not in a pandemic, or, you know, if it's convenient for me, then I think I could do this. But when you look into the cup, it's going to cost me something. It's going to cost me some friends probably. Because, you know... And I'm not the one supplying anymore. And I'm not the one that's dishing it out all the time and paying for everyone's meals and buying everybody gas. You have lots of friends when you got money. You got jingle in your pocket. I never knew how many friends I had till my mom and dad gave me a car when I was in 10th grade. 
was in 10th grade. It didn't matter what the car was. It was the grocery getter. It was a four-door Chevy Malibu. But I suddenly had all these friends. Oh, can you, can you drive me over here? Can you ride me over here? I finally got wise and said, if you'll chip in on some gas. Of course, gas then was like, what, dollar $1.10, <laughs> 99 cents. Oh, I'm really telling on myself. But what happened is Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking. Before I go to the resurrection, before the resurrection ever takes place, this is what's going to happen. I will be mocked, I will be scourged, and I will be crucified. It's going to happen. Now, notice this. It happens in the face of everything he's preached. In the face of everything Jesus stood for, he is now mocked for. He's mocked about it. Are you here? He said, they're going to humiliate me. They're going to do it publicly. They're going to strip me of my clothes, expose my weakness. They're going to beat me in front of everybody. They're going to mock me. And the Lord began to speak to me that many times in our life, our life has been mocked. How? When you had to stand publicly strong when inside you were weak privately. And I, if you'll let me be real with you as your pastor this morning, there's many times that I could help you with your stuff but struggle to fix mine. Many times I was helping heal other people while I myself was wounded in the battle. I was being a strength for other people when I was being weakened by attacks you couldn't see. I know full well what it is to be mocked for having a standard. I know what it is to be mocked for standing for truth. And I also know what it is to be mocked when the devil mocks me for everything that I have preached. When you have stood for God and things happen in your life that you don't understand, and then here comes somebody who said, oh, I thought you was a Christian. Oh, I thought you was a man of God. I thought you was a woman of God. I thought you were helping other people counsel their marriages, and your marriage is a shambles. I thought, I thought, I thought this. Can I talk to some people who've been mocked? You're running a counseling center maybe for women and your own daughter is pregnant out of wedlock. Life's mocking you. You just help your girlfriend with her troubled marriage while your husband just walked out the back door. Life is mocking you. When I'm preaching healing and deliverance, and then I myself diagnosed with cancer in 2017, the devil was mocking me. Thought you were thought you walked up for faith, Brother Mark. Listen, that's how, that's where he'll hit us. When we've had a testimony of the faithfulness of God. When you have prayed for other people. And all of a sudden, now it's upon you. The enemy is mocking you. Mocking your walk with God. And that's when you have to have a made up mind that no matter what is in the cup, is for my good. Woman, you don't even know what you ask. They're not even ready to drink from this cup. But there would come a time that every one of his disciples would die a martyr's death because Jesus completed the process. And he said, you know what? Put me in the grave and watch what will happen. 
And I've come to tell you that when people mock you and the enemy mocks you through your situation, there is a next step. Jesus said, they are going to crucify me. They will mock me. They will flog me. They will scourge me. He said, but there's another thing coming. He said, on the third day, I will rise from the grave. I come to preach to somebody today and tell you that it's coming. You will rise. They may beat your name down, but you will rise. Circumstances may be out of control, but you will rise. Sickness may come against you to try to mock your testimony and faith, but you will rise. Is there anybody in the house today would stand to your feet and say, I will rise. I will rise in strength because Jesus got up. I'm going to get up. I will rise in strength. Sometimes you have to go through the beating to understand the game, to understand what it means to suffer a little while and understand the process so that God can teach you and rebuild you. I want to talk to somebody here today before we go where life has beat you down and you almost didn't even come to church today because life has beat you so down. Am I preaching to anybody? You didn't even want to come here today. You've been mocked. You've been made fun of. You've had to deal with this, that, and the other. But I'm here to tell you all of us in this room have had to go through something. The people that are on the same row as you, don't you point your bony finger at them because they got as much weakness in them as you have in you. They got more secrets in them that you have in you. So don't look at other people like they're the only ones that are down and out. You've been down and out too. But the good news is we can rise again because Jesus got up out of a borrowed grave and rose with power. I come to tell you, your situation may look hopeless, but there is hope in Him. There is joy in Him. There is strength in Him. Come on and give God praise in this house. He's going to turn it for my good. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 